Cheers, everybody. It's February 6th, 2018, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Today, we're talking about housing, cryptocurrency, and culture. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Milliken. Hi, Over Brendan. here is Brendan Milliken. How you doing? And our special guest today is Chad Julian. Hi, Chad. How you doing? Hello, Worcester. Chad, Chad may be known to people from That's Entertainment, the great comics and pop culture store of Worcester. Maybe known to you from just being an awesome guy of the city of Worcester. I'm out and about in the city enough. People might know me. Being but awesome. Yes, uh, five days a week, I'm definitely behind the, the counter over at That's E for the last 10 years. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about this and that and, and the other thing. Uh, we are on... Oh, man, I've totally lost my, my sheet of paper that says what we're on. Um, we are broadcasting on Worcester's Unity Radio 0.0000001 gigawatts of power on 102.9 FM. We are cable casting on WCCA TV 194. And we are podcasting at pieandcoffee.org. The call-in number is 508-471-5265. And a special shout-out to the mighty Hank Stoltz, who is engineering today's show. Mike, did you find your place in your uh, notebook there? If not, we could just redo last week's show. That I was... did. That, that was my place right there. Me, oh, okay. me sounding like I knew what I was talking about was me reading off a piece of paper. And now we're back to the other part of the show. Um, Brendan Mellican. While you're in the uh, process yeah. of shout-outs, Mike, I just wanted to say congratulations to the uh, city of Philadelphia and its residents on earning their right to burn their own city to the ground. Uh, it's been spectacular to watch. I, I don't pay much attention to football, so I really don't have anything to add on the, the sporting front. But... Uh, if anyone knows how to destroy their own city, apparently out of joy, it is the residents of Philadelphia. I respect. I have to say, I respect it, man. I'm not a big football fan, but you know, when you win it, you got to just go for it, man. Yeah. Well, you know, and it says a lot about a city when you realize that the police department or the Department of Public Works keeps a spare supply of Crisco specifically to grease the light poles to keep people from climbing them. You know, it's it's there's lots of that might have made sense, but I don't know. In the 20s, 30s, you had some Crisco, you slept. But I just want to say, know. like, I'm not that super into football, but I love Philadelphia so much. Philadelphia so much. is a great city. One of city. my favorite cities. But you're going to look at it in a completely different light next time you realize that the, the protection that the police horses wear is to keep oh, them I from know. getting punched in the face. I know about so not, I, know, I know about Philadelphia. You don't need to tell me about Philadelphia. Uh you know, there's not that much going on with the uh, Worcester City Council this week. They've just sort of had a series of amazingly brief agendas. I don't know what is going on. If this is part of them not wanting to get paid more, that they're just doing less. <laughs> I don't really understand what the, what the deal is at all there. But um, one piece of news that I wanted to talk about this week, um, which is, Brendan, about our topic that we've been trying to understand, which is affordable housing Um I read these articles about affordable housing and I don't understand it any better. It's just like, um, it's just not helping me, man. So you're gonna try and make yourself feel better about that by confusing the audience, then? Is what I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna say that, like, you, you talk to people about city politics sometimes. Sometimes, right? like, they might have an issue and they come to you and they're like, Brendan, like, I'm trying to figure something out with this, with the city. Help me with this. Mm -hmm. And you know, you talk to people and like. There's a lot of things that you know about city politics that are not obvious that people don't necessarily know. And every so like every article about city politics doesn't explain what's going on 100 percent. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean like, so like so like today I'm going to read this thing about housing and it has some quotes from like the mayor of Worcester. Right. Mm -hmm. And like there's nowhere in the article where it explains like, well, here is actually who the mayor of Worcester is. He has a role which is not what you think of the mayor of a city being blah, 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 blah. blah right. Right. Blah. It does not go into all this every single time the mayor is quoted in an article. Mm hmm. 
But you kind of have to have this context to really understand. If you really wanted to understand housing in Worcester from this article, you would have to have all so much context. These things about state housing have none of this context. So I don't understand. I don't really understand. Like I see these numbers like 1.71 billion. I know, I mean, I know what that is as a number, but I don't know what that is in the context of past spending on affordable housing. Oh, sure. Plan spending, other states spending on affordable housing. Units of housing, how it gets actually overlaid into uh, mixed-use development. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so like the, the story that we're talking about, and Nick Neffel has a nice article in the Telegram and Gazette called Statewide Efforts Target Affordable Housing Shortage. Um, the uh, the governor uh, proposed a one point two or one point three billion dollar affordable housing package and some changes in how zoning would be done on the local level and the state house came back with a one point seven billion dollar affordable housing bill the house approved it last week and it sounds like the senate is excited about approving it um the article mentions that we are uh one of only 13 percent of the cities in the state that are at the 10 percent guideline for affordable housing uh but it says advocates believe there are not enough units to fulfill demand. On any given day, we probably have 10 to 15 people looking for an affordable use unit of variable bedroom sizes, and oftentimes people get passed around from agency to agency, which I think is an indication of the lack of affordable housing, said Ellie Gilmore, community organizer for Worcester Common Ground. I know Eleanor Gilmore. We could probably get her on the show to talk about housing. Uh, it talks about how, filling all the blanks for you. That's, it talks about how Shrewsbury. Chad, is, what are you doing here? This is. Well, me. Wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna leave. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so like Worcester is like at more than the 10% guideline. It mentions here that like Shrewsbury is at 6% affordable yeah. housing, but and they just filled uh, submitted a home rule petition asking that they can call mobile home, count mobile homes as affordable housing, mm-hmm. which seems. Reasonable to me. Again, I, this is the kind of context where I'm like, why is this not? Well, maybe I can housing? fill in a tiny bit of yeah. blank there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So we have these old guidelines, and they are relatively old, and probably do need some updating. Um, and the ten, this ten percent number you hear thrown around a lot was more or less a guideline. It, it isn't anything. It was supposed to be the the idea was you hit this ten percent number, then you're fully eligible for. There's never going to be any questions about state aid or whatnot. It was going to be just one of those metrics that were used to make sure that the Commonwealth as a whole is healthy based upon the uh, each all 351 cities and towns uh, reflecting the population uh, the right, best they could. Right. But, you know, the I've actually heard this. So Worcester is well above that 10% number. Mm-hmm. And you'll oftentimes hear people who are critical of affordable housing say, well, why isn't Holden have more affordable housing? Mm-hmm. Or Spencer or go want, down the line. I don't want to have people have to live in Holden. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. Well, so, you know, who agrees Just with Just from you? a human and rights perspective. It was a couple of years back during a, a city council debate. And it was the first time I've really heard it articulated this way. So simple. It should have dawned on everybody. The reason cities like Worcester and a lot of gateway cities are well above that number actually makes perfect sense, right? If you're going to, if you were in need of assistance for housing, the likelihood for you to want to live in Petersham is mm. slim to none because all of the things that go along with potentially being against the ropes and needing assistance on any front are going to be better suited in a city, right? So yeah. access to employment, access to public transportation, uh, not needing a car to get everywhere you're going, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even access to multiple forms of, uh, of employment at the same time just to keep the, the, the ship afloat. And in a weird way, like I think the fact that we have as much affordable housing and Councilor Rivera totally changed my own mindset, not drastically, but significantly enough where I think that there is a good argument to be made that we should always be looking to raise that number, never lower it only because it speaks volumes about the character of the city. It's, you know, we're actually doing a good job of taking care of people. 
you could spin that around, and I'm sure plenty of people would. Well, how how good of a job is too good of a job? Maybe we're just uh, enabling people, but that's besides the point. Well, that's a fi- weird mean, philosophical argument. The argument is, I think, that you know we do a good job of taking care of people, and we should always look to be doing a better job. That's not to say we can't have a lot of development uh, on market rate housing and above. There's You can still do that, too. But having that number yeah. high, is it seems like a good indicator of health of the community. This is the see. So this is the thing that I don't, that I really, really, really don't understand, and where I, I think that if this was a federal issue, mm-hmm. there would at least be some people writing at least superficial things explaining to me like, here is what your knee-jerk opinion should be about affordable housing. Like the real problem is blank, mm-hmm. right? And people say the real problem is. I mean, I don't know. On the right, I'm sure people say the real problem is zoning, the real problem is regulation, whatever. Like, I haven't seen really good explanations that this is true on on the state level. Like, it's not like like when I look at like the house, like you know, like whatever. Shrewsbury has half as much affordable housing as Worcester or, or whatever, right? But I don't see like a lot of. I don't know. I don't feel like Worcester is doing like 10 times better or 10 times worse than other cities. And that's where I would expect that if there was some huge thing around, oh, well, if you did zoning the right way, suddenly everything would become great. Like, I just don't see anybody who's doing it right. That may be true, but I, so this is why I have no opinion about this. Yeah, well, I think it's also one of or those. Or I have no informed opinion. It's potentially also one of those metrics where, you know, I think oftentimes we get uh, in the trap of thinking that you do something, there's, ob- there's going to be an obvious and immediate uh, measurable result. Uh, affordable housing is not necessarily one of those things, right? It's like the need is always going to be predicated on everything f- from uh, birth rates, influx of, uh, of immigrants, uh, well, you know, it's it, gonna, economies yeah. of scale. Like there's so many things that come into play. Just the fact that we go a little bit above and beyond, uh, I think, is a good starting point. And and housing is built across generations. So if you have a yeah. lack of a certain kind of housing, it's gonna and you don't and you screw up your regulation around it for 50 years, it's gonna take you. 30 years to fix that problem if you've fixed your regulations. And more impo- most importantly, uh, to your earlier point, uh, Worcester is keeping people from being forced to live in Holden. And that in and of itself is something that we should celebrate our for- should. ourselves for on a daily basis. We should. It's, yeah. We should. We should. Anyway, I just, I, just, I just wanted to just say real quick, like the kinds of things that are in this housing bill, which again, I don't I think this, I think this is H4108. It's going in front of the Senate soon. And at least this article quotes uh, Senate President Harriet, acting Senate President Harriet Chandler, our state senator, as being excited both about this particular bill. Also, she um, speaks out in favor of zoning reforms in this. And the zoning legislation is something which I cannot figure out. I don't think it's part of this. I think it's connected to this somehow. I know that the governor had proposed both a housing bill like this as well as some zoning changes last spring. The zoning changes would basically, according to this article, make it so that um, uh, cities and towns can adopt zoning changes by a simple majority vote instead of a two-thirds supermajority. And so um, that seems like, again, I have no idea if that's what we need. It seems like the kind of thing that maybe we need. Uh, if I could find some information about this topic, maybe I could make up my own mind. But no, I haven't been able to find that information. <laughs> yeah, well, because I think it's one of those things that on the surface you're going to look at and say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why can't we change our zoning regs? But it also assumes that uh, you're always going to have benevolent actors uh, when it comes to government that aren't going to make uh, drastic changes to zoning regs that could negatively impact certain populations. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I know that there's people on both the left and the right who would argue either way on this zoning yeah. thing. So again, I don't have any opinion. I just look at looking at this thing. I mean, you know, like, like 
the kinds of things that are in this housing bill is, for example, this uh, putting $400 million toward the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, the AHTF, which is administered by Mass Housing to create and preserve affordable housing, including permanent and transitional housing for the homeless and the rehabilitation of public housing, and it can serve moderate income households, or the Capital Improvement and Preservation Fund, $125 million. And I don't understand any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is a great this is great radio. I know people are really excited to hear this. How confused Mike is. I'm also confused. Chad, well, Chad, I want to. <laughs> we've got a couple. Oh man, I think our uh, I think we're still recording, but I think our camera is jammed for the moment. Anyway, okay. um, we've got another thing here. It's called a handsome still. That's all that matters. Sex, drugs, and Bitcoin. How much illegal activity is financed through cryptocurrencies? Uh, I thought this was great. This is based on last spring. Um, these guys did a network analysis of Bitcoin transactions, and according to their findings, we find that illegal activity accounts for a substantial proportion of the users and trading activity for Bitcoin. For example, approximately one quarter of all users, 25%, and close to one half of Bitcoin transactions, 44%, are associated with illegal activity. Furthermore, approximately one-fifth, 20% of the total volume, dollar volume of transactions, and approximately one half of Bitcoin ownings, 51% through time, are associated with illegal activity. Uh, yeah, you know, some, two numbers that um, I think we've long wanted to mention on this show but never have. One is um, I want to talk about the price of crude oil. Uh, today, the price of Brent crude is $67 a barrel. Uh, it's declined a little bit over the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, it was at $70 a barrel, which is the highest level in two years. These levels are typical of what we were at like three years ago. So it's not like we're at historically high levels. And five years ago, say, it was like $100. So, you know, we're whatever, 5% down from where we were two weeks ago. But I think the, the market in general is 5% down. So Now I'm thoroughly confused. Can you explain? Crude oil is, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the price of oil has gotten cheaper as just, you know, as other other investments and things have also, like, declined in value. People are like, yeah, maybe maybe oil's not that great. Do you either. have a paper somewhere over there that can tie together the value of uh, Bitcoin to uh I can tell you totally. Crude oil. Well, the, so the value of Bitcoin today, it depends on which minute you look at it. It's 7,000, give or take. Two weeks ago, it was uh, a little over 11,000. So Bitcoin has dropped a lot more than crude oil has over the last two weeks. Um and is at, uh, by some measures, historically high value, you know, a lot higher than it was, say, four months ago. The Beverly Hillbillies were right. Which is what? The Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> what were they right that's about? How, well, that's how they got started. It was the founding the crude oil on the farm. Black gold, Texas tea. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of... Come on, Mike. I have, I, you know, I was just reading a book called Ramp Hollow, the Ordeal of Appalachia, which was talking about the dispossession of the land of the so-called hillbillies in West Virginia. And uh, it just made me think a lot about how Jed Clampett would have lost that land along. He would have lost that land 50 years earlier, and especially the mineral rights. There's no way Jed Clampett had mineral rights to that land. That would have made a terrible TV show, though. <laughs> it would never would have happened, man. He would. That, somebody, somebody else would be living large off that money, and Jed Clampett would be just living back in the hills. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to some important messages. This is 508, a show about Worcester. We will be right back. Worcester, I have a riddle for you from Bruce the Snow Ghost Russell. What's the first thing you know? Answer. The first thing you know is old Jed's a millionaire. This is 508, a show about Worcester, Worcester's libertarian voice. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Mellican. How's it going, Mike? And this is Chad Julian. I'm here, too. <laughs> this first half was just me complaining about housing reportage and not letting Chad talk. The second half will be me letting other people talk. Brandon, you you first, though. I've got a quick thing for you, Mike. And I'm just going to yeah. ask you a couple questions here, and I'll give you the context afterwards. Um so just answer honestly. Okay. 
during the past 12 months, yes. on how many days did you, and these are the questions, uh, drink more than a few sips of beer, wine, or any drink containing alcohol? Don't overthink it. Just All throw right, it at random. Zero. Zero days. Um, use any marijuana, for example, pot, weed, or hash, or synthetic marijuana, K2 or spice? Zero. Uh, take a prescription medication or pill that was not prescribed to you uh, or more than was prescribed to you, prescription pain meds, ADH medication? Zero. Uh, use anything other to get high, for example, illegal drugs, over-the-counter medications, and things that you sniff or huff? I, I, anything to get me high? Listen, what about like I, spending too much time on Facebook? Yeah, so let me just move on. No, those questions, I, I find this fascinating. We're starting this in the Worcester Public Schools now. That, these are the questions that make up the Craft 2 questionnaire, which okay. is a, a questionnaire that's being used. This was actually rolled out as uh, formally as part of uh, Governor Baker's 2016 opiate uh, bill. Okay. And one of the small things that was tucked in there was this questionnaire that's going to be asked of students in the, in the public schools statewide, but we're doing it here in Worcester starting in seventh grade. And you know, I just, Do students answer these questions honestly? We, we'll find out in the next couple months. Or, or maybe not, because I guess, how do you figure that out? It's, this is a little bit different, though, than what we've all probably partaken in over years, the Michi Michigan study, which was okay. that an anonymous thing that was done every three or four years okay. throughout your educational career that was asking uh, exposure or usage of different substances. This one is is actually done one-on-one -on -one and in like a non-sort of confrontational thing. I can imagine this will be a lot more How non-confrontational is this going to be? This is going to affect my grade. It, yeah. <laughs> No, but it's, you know, and then there's follow-up questions depending on how the, the students ask. The only reason I brought it up was because I, I, I'm going to guess if there is anyone who's listening, uh, if you've got any students or children who are in the Worcester Public Schools, you probably got a letter in the last couple of days saying that, hey, we're about to start doing this. That's what the letter is about, just those four we, questions. We also learned that Mike's really square. Yeah, apparently. we've also learned <laughs> that Mike is not a really exciting guy. I'm on, so, I'm on the yeah. straight edge, guys. What can I say? Um, it, some, during the break, Brendan was asking about how much crude oil is being used for illegal uh, purposes. One thing that this study looks at is that they say that the uh, that the, as of last spring, there was around $72 billion of of illegal activity per year involving Bitcoin, which was close to the scale of the U.S. and European market for illegal drugs. So probably, that's probably a minority of illegal activity in the world, still, a small minority still being done in Bitcoin. And I would, I, yeah, crude oil, I don't know. Cash is king. Yeah, I think so. I think cash is Let's get Chad involved here. Hi, Chad. How are you doing? Plastic is also king. Yes, uh, it's true. It's one of the true. things that happens anytime the oil prices go up, all of our supplies shoot up because we deal with all lots of comic collecting and stuff like that. So yeah. poly bags and uh, card sleeves and stuff like that. Um, so all of the all of the distributors we use shoot the price up as soon as the oil goes up. And when the oil goes down, the price stays up. <laughs> I was just going to say, that would actually be something really fascinating, but probably not provide much value to anybody outside of your industry to take a look, look at something like as ubiquitous as like action figures. Yep. And has the price of action figures uh, risen uh, and dipped based on the price of crude oil over the years? The answer is obviously going to be no. Like, no, Mattel's not going to turn around and say, hey, we can afford to lose 75 cents on this exactly. Han Solo figure this have year. Have you seen the um, Netflix series, uh, The Toys That Made Us? I have not. Ooh, you should definitely watch it. Tell um, me about it. They basically did, um, I believe, four or five of the major toys in the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. So they did Barbie, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, and He-Man Masters Universe. And yes. it's a really great, like... It shows uh, the, the the psychology of why the toys were made, um, the the millions and billions of dollars that these companies were making in the early 80s just to then tank when the recession hit and stuff like that. But 
it was really great seeing like the the reasoning behind them. He-Man was basically made because kids in market research groups didn't feel empowered. They felt these they they felt like they didn't have any choices in their life, so they gave him this big beefy guy who says, "I have the power." <laughs> You know, and they actually like brought in like clinical psychologists to, to to figure these things out. Which is like the exact opposite of the story of like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, where some just random guy at Toys R Us said, "Hey, go stick it over. We got room over in that aisle." Yeah. So like video games became like this weirdly male specific toy for mm-hmm. years because they were only found in the the, the boys' toy section right. of Toys R Us. But that was never the intention. Most of the, the original programmers at Atari were all females, Mike. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, almost everybody who was involved with coding for the original Twenty Six Hundred games were all females. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this series. I was just about to ask you about GI Joe guys. I have such a such a such an ancient and old. I want to back up for a second and remind everyone who Chad there. is. Oh, it, yes, Chad has yes. been with us uh, in the past, uh, at least in the background for uh, 508 episodes. But now you're the manager down at um, That's Entertainment. I'm the assistant manager at That's Entertainment. I've been there for 10 years. I hopefully will be there much longer because not after today, Chad. Not after today. <laughs> I did not inhale. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's great. Um, I've been there for just over a decade. Um, I'm the main toy buyer. I help with video game sales, uh, DVDs, knick-knacky types, things like that, like drinkware and glasses and any kind of niche item you can find. Uh, once you've been there for a long enough time, you can kind of have your hand in every little pot. You know, mm-hmm. so. um, I'm, the funny thing is I'm not a huge collector myself. Mm-hmm. I grew up reading comic books. I, I, I have kind of my remnants in my back closet that I... I keep telling myself I have to sell, but knowing that it's not going to make me any money in the long run, so I might as well just hold on to it and keep the nostalgia. I, I think it's hard for people not to feel as though there's been some sort of a renaissance with uh, – we hear that word a lot in Worcester these days. There's so many renaissances in this in this country. But a little bit outside of Worcester, in, in, in the side of pop culture that's probably best represented locally through That's Entertainment, right. whether it be comic books, the franchises that have led to movies and whatnot, and then a lot of rebooting of, of stuff that we all grew up with, like Star Wars and whatnot. How are you seeing that impact – you folks on a local level. Star Wars helps a lot. Um, if you not to, to bore you with the history of Star no, Wars toys. Boring. Okay, um, as everyone knows, in the late seventies and early eighties, uh, Star Wars was a huge boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, action figures, you know, sheets and curtains and toothbrushes and everything. Uh, and it once uh, actually touches on this in the special, the toys that made us. There was a huge lull from like eighty five to like ninety five, and they weren't really making any product. And then when the new movies came out. Up comes the re-release of Power of the Force and the Episode One, and uh, there's a huge new booming business and million dollars are being made again. Well, there was another lull again after the prequels went away, and now you have Force Awakens and Rogue One, and now you know the new Han Solo movie coming out and the new Boba Fett movie they're making, and they're realizing that. They can just keep uh, milking this for all it's worth every 10 years. And that years must or so. also impact the secondary market too. Oh, definitely. Like used toys and, and stuff. used toys are great. Um, Basically, I've been buying Star Wars toys for years. Um, the Power of the Force line from the 90s kind of died really quickly. So for the past 10 years, I've been making grown men cry when they bring in their Power of the Force toys mm. from the 90s. Like, it's okay, I understand. I even, what is the Power of the Force? I don't even Power of the Force was basically, Power of the Force uh, was a 1985 line that was basically the remnants of the toy lines. Uh-huh. Uh, after all the movies had come out, they said, let's make one more thing just to kind of gut kids and you know to try to get their parents money it didn't take off very well because all the movies were over and no one cared and everyone, right. everyone had moved on to he-man and stuff like that so the actual 1985 power of the force line is super expensive 
those figures that go for hundreds of dollars loose and more so huh. on card. So they tried to recapture the thunder in the 90s, after, right after the episode one movies came out, and those toys tanked. They decided to re-release the Power of the Force moniker, but just basically reprint all of the old action figures. And people ate it up because, you know, everything's cyclical. Everything takes you know, 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, all these kids who grew up in the 70s and the 90s were in their 20s and 30s. And now all the kids who grew up in the 90s and the 2018 are kind of reaching the same. So how many... Uh, you are you are listening to 508, a show about Worcester. And you're also listening to me interrupt Brendan Milliken. We'll be back okay. again after acceptable. these important messages. <laughs> this is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. And this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Milligan. Mike, you know, I'm not going to uh, criticize uh, what you do at the intro of the third segment, but I finally got to see Chad's face while you were doing that. I think has to be very similar to what the face of everybody listening to the show is right now. I'm not going to give away your secret. Hopefully they're all figure... hypnotized and their yeah. face is making no I thought it was some obscure Star Wars reference no, that I well, wasn't getting. So it's a Twin is... Peaks thing. Well, you gave it away. I was hoping people would research this on their own and they'd come to their own conclusions. But Chad Julian, you were just explaining to me something about a part of Star Wars I don't know anything about. Can you continue? Um, it depends what we're, we talked about. I think uh, the newer toys. Newer. Something about the Force, not Awakening. Uh, Power of the Force. Power of the Force. So, yeah, they basically re-released the original toys with new packaging uh, in the late 90s called the Power of the Force. And mm -hmm. it had created this huge boom. And um, as soon as it raised, it lowered again. So, so everybody, that, everybody who was waiting up to buy to buy a R2-D2 or whatever bought it, and then they were like, we're done. Well, everyone had this, the idea. Oh, the toys from the 70s have so much value. So what I'm going to do, and the, the 90s in general kind of killed geek culture and collecting for a mm. long time, whether it was sports cards or Star Wars toys or comic books or anything. The price went up and then it crashed. Yes, and basically everyone had the same idea. All the stuff from the 70s has all this value. What I'm going to do is I'm going to buy five copies of everything. I'm going to put it in a Rubbermaid container, pay for a, a monthly uh, storage unit, and then 20 years I'll be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And in the last 10 years, I've literally made grown men cry. I had people come in with, like, diseases. Like, people, oh, I, I have this horrible, I have, I have to get a uh, surgery. Uh, I didn't ever want to do this. I was going to put my kids through college, but I'm going to sell these toys. And I'm like, I like, sir, I have to sit you down. I, these are worth maybe, like, $20. No, no, I understand you're trying to sell it, but you have to understand. I'm you know, like, no, sir, these have no value. I'm sorry. Like uh, th that and Beanie Babies. I still have middle-aged women <laughs> yell at me over the phone. No, Beanie Babies have value. You're lying. I'm like, I'm sorry, miss. Have a nice day. You know? Do you ever have any Dutch people coming in with tulip bulbs that they're trying to sell you <laughs> no, at a premium? Not, That's, not yet. Because no. well, I, I think th this whole show has somehow inadvertently wrapped itself up right back to Bitcoin, right? Where, yeah, I mean, this is something that I think there's a lot of speculation that goes on and, and what have you. And maybe some people will be right. Some people might be really sad as well as the people who bought the Power of the Force toys were when they found out these thing, this thing might be worthless. Did I tell the story of my little brother's G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, Chad, the last time you were on? I don't think so. Then I'm going to USS Flag? I'm talking about the USS Flag. So I haven't told this before on 508, so I'll tell this story. This is Unfortunately, this is one of these things I know something about, unlike uh, affordable housing legislation in the state of Massachusetts. So the USS Flag was this aircraft carrier, G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, and I want it was it, it it couldn't have been like seven feet long. Six feet. Six feet long. 
This was one of my little brother's greatest accomplishments as a child was that he saved up like a cost like $120. Back when $120 was like $120. <laughs> he saved this money up and one year, like we would always drive to Tulsa the day after Christmas. Any cash that we had, we would spend in Tulsa. We lived about an hour from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Tulsa was a place where you could actually go to a place like Toys R Us. We went there. He bought this aircraft carrier for $120. It took up most of the floor space of his bedroom. It was an amazing item to have. You know, he got older, put it in a box with the rest of our junk from being kids. And our parents every couple of years would be like, what do you want to do with these old things? And we would just be like, we don't care. We don't care. And I don't know what they did with a lot of them. They just sold them to whoever they threw them in the trash. But somehow when they were poking around on Craigslist, this is about five years ago, my parents found somebody who was looking for the USS flag, maybe about 50 miles from their house. And they sold this to this guy for like, hundreds of dollars and this is an amazing accomplishment because again like i assumed the uss flag was worth whatever the commodity price in china for recycled plastic would be and plywood <laughs> was there plywood there in was there? actually plywood the decks but they were so long they actually put the plywood decks on top of the plywood. this sounds like the, the worst toy this ever was, i can't it, even i can't remember this at all well so and what the guy did with the flag though is he was making um, a coffee table for his house Basically like an aquarium an aquarium with a transparent top, a PVC coffee table, and inside of it he put the flag and all the action figures, and I assume that jet, I forget what that jet was called. The Sky Striker. The Sky Striker, and all the stuff, all the helicopter, the whole nine on this thing. So I just feel, partially I feel good because my parents were able to maybe possibly pay themselves back for the cost of storing all these boxes of for junk years. for decades. But also I'm very excited. The idea that like this goofy thing that we delighted as so much as kids, someone else is equally delighted by as an adult and we could pass it along. There's any geeks in the audience right now who know what the USS flag is are crying internally because this gentleman <laughs> made a aquarium coffee table and then filled in all the toys with water and fish destroying these toys. Um, no, no, no. Oh. He didn't put water in okay. it. Okay. I'm sorry, sorry. Sorry. Just to clarify. I mean, I, I, like, like an empty aquarium. Okay. Like an empty aquarium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. I only wish that he had put in fish in it. That would be amazing. <laughs> no. I think he just made like a giant diorama of okay. the whole thing, and then was like, "This is going to be the centerpiece of my living room." Chad, in your professional role, what would that, uh, what would that cost today? Um, I sold. Or what would you resell it for? I sold one in the box two or three years ago for over nine hundred dollars. Wow. All right, so my parents, so forget, so getting a couple hundred bucks for a well-used USS yeah. flag was not bad for my parents. Yeah. So I, I get a question for you, and uh, now I'm, I'm not, res I'm not speaking when I bring this up in the like plastic figures. I'm speaking of like the old plushy sort of dolls. How, how often do you get people coming in with Ewok uh, stuffed animals, and how do you judge them? Very rarely do we see Ewok stuffed animals. And unlike yourself, Brendan, I have no problem with Ewoks. I, I, Wait, I, do you have a problem with Ewoks? I guess I'm okay with Ewoks. I, I just feel like that No, was... go ahead. Make the case against Ewoks. Go ahead. I'm ready. This is, again, something else that I know something about, unlike housing. I don't feel as though they added anything to the Return of the Jedi. I feel like... <laughs> okay, so just for people who never saw The Return of the Jedi, so this is and like a where movie. have you been living all So this, this is a movie about like people having a space battle or something, right? They for all live in space and they're all home, robots. Everybody in this room and is exasperated. The Ewoks, me right now. the Ewoks are these guys in the movie, and they're sort, of a, they're sort of a combination of two separate things. One is that they are these um, carnivorous human-eating teddy bears, mm -hmm. and the other is that they are the Viet Cong. And they are combined 
completely uh, the movie does not lose a step in somehow working this alchemy and sliding these characters in there is an extremely important and memorable part of the third Star Wars movie that I will and this give is you. what you don't like well that I, I give I offer you everything that you said is completely true uh, but it, there was nothing they're also so, somewhat like pre, prehistoric in, in nature in the fact that like they're they've, they've sure so the, the we're talking uh, they have a rich oral oral culture and song culture though they do have a rich oral <laughs> oh, from the end of that movie. You know, totally. No, yeah, don't give away any spoilers, Mike. Come on. People at home might not have seen this yet. But I just don't feel as though uh, loincloth-wearing teddy bears. None of this made any – again, they're wearing hoods. Why just hoods? Why would a teddy bear wear a hood? It's wearing fur. That's why, are you wearing a, why are you wearing a stocking cap inside? Because it's chilly up here. He's That's, part Ewok. Yeah. No, okay. I'm sorry to offend anyone who has a deep love. No, you can keep going. Keep digging. Keep digging your hole. I'm not going to stop you. Why did Chewbacca wear a bandolier that he never used? Oh, where yeah. else is he going to carry his stuff? You don't think Chewbacca's cool? Is that That's what you're where he saying? kept his mince and gun. <laughs> the um, now, so there's. I think we might be able to universally sort of somewhat uh, cachet upon the the. The second trilogy? Yes. Uh, as, do you see a lot coming through of toys on that front? Like Definitely. Okay. Um, toys are coming through all the time. The newer toys, not so much. Um, as we were talking during the commercial break, um, now that Disney owns Star Wars, yeah. they're just flooding the marketplace. You can find newer you know, Last Jedi action figures in every Walgreens, every CVS, every... I don't, I don't even know if KB Toy Store still exists, but you know, mm-hmm. basically everywhere, in places you wouldn't ex- expect... Um, one of our main competition, which I probably shouldn't mention on the radio, but our biggest competition is GameStop. Oh, interesting. And okay. GameStop was for the longest time a video game store. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you walk in and 50% of the store's action figures and, and statues and models sure. and stuff like this. And they're realizing that there's a big money in this. Yeah. You know? And unfortunately, the fact that you know technology, you can buy a, a brand new game, burn it to your hard drive, and then flip it around and sell it back. It's harder to burn a... Well, it's easy to burn an action figure, especially if you are, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you have play, played War in the '80s yeah, with the GI yes. Joes. But uh, the, the the really great thing about an action figure or a statue, it's visceral. You yeah. have to hold on to it. You can't watch it uh, digitally. You can't download it. It's mm-hmm. something that you need. And I think that's kind of what a lot of these. Uh, Companies are realizing. You know? I might be totally off here, but it's something I keep I've thought about with the last few uh, Star Wars movies. Uh, trying to view them uh, as a parent, because like going back to the Ewoks, like I, I always, as I've gotten older, try and picture what was my dad thinking when he was, you know, in the theater seeing Ewoks for the first time. I've got a story for you about that. But <laughs> the thing that I, I keep getting myself a little wrapped up in as a parent is that the newer movies are. I don't want to say dark, but like visually, there's something they're stunning. But mm-hmm. in, in my, as an adult, it, they, they match up with what I always. Thought I saw when I was a kid while watching Star Wars movies. Then you go back and you watch the original trilogy, yeah. and uh, you see celluloid moving in the background as spaceships are coming through, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's almost comical in how uh, early things were in terms of both CGI uh, and a lot of the puppet, puppeting that need, puppeteer work that needed to be done because there was no CGI. Now you're going to go after Yoda. And, no, I love Yoda. I actually prefer puppets <laughs> over CGI. It's, and you know, they used puppets in the new movie. They did. Yeah, they brought Yoda back as well. But with the, Frank Oz. The, with Frank Oz. <laughs> but like the landscapes are so stark and you know the, the colors are just uh, – they're amazing. Um, but I don't see them translating as much into like kids' toys, which no. I could be totally off base with because I'm not a kid and I don't know what kids are really into, I guess. But yeah, I, there's something different about the new movies. The, the funny thing is a lot of the market research for the new toys – aren't aimed at kids. All They're aimed now. at the 40-year-old collector who grew up on Star Wars. Interesting. You know, there was a great SNL sketch from a few years ago when uh, Force Awakens first came out, 
and like, hey, kids, get the new Star Wars toys. You can play with them. And then like, all these 30-year-old guys come in, or you can just leave them in the box. You know? <laughs> the, um, yeah, no, but I think there's something to be said for that, too, along the lines of, like, Lego, right? Because now you have whole uh, industries that are built up, like, again, not just around kids, but if you if you play, like, the Marvel Lego uh, video games or you buy the sets, Star Wars, the same thing, those, I think, do a much better job of being targeted intentionally at kids but they pepper in enough humor and whatnot that adults can get into. And because there's an attachment from adults with their, their own childhood that you can still grab hold of them and, and, and have a lot of fun. But Mike had kind of mentioned with his brother saving up for... Um... Oh, wait, do we have a phone call? Is it, is, do we want to take... All right. It's probably going to be, be a disaster. No, Here it's going to be an Ewok calling to yell hello, at me. Hello, caller. Hello, caller. Yeah, we can... <laughs> Hello? Hello? It was an Ewok. Hello? All right. Well, that was another wild success in wow. an experiment with taking live calls. That's a... uh, Chad, you were going to you were, you were say I something. I think that Ewok had a meeting with management that yeah. you missed. Okay. Um, no, um, Mike, has, Mike's brother saved up when he was a kid for the USS flag mm-hmm. and it was $120 and he saved up all his bike route money and his newspaper That's or right. chores or whatever. That's right. you know. Selling apples on the street. Exactly. Corner, the whole thing. Um, a new Lego Millennium Falcon is $400. Really? Yeah. Like how, like brand new, like thousand pieces, you know, how I'm just going to apologize to my son now. I'm not going to buy that for you. I, I'm, I'm guesstimating. I yeah. mean, we don't get new. We don't get the newest Lego products in the store just because we're a smaller store. No, but that sounds probably but, reasonable. But that's probably. I have friends on Facebook who are unveiling their new, uh, you know, Lego purchases and taking an entire weekend to put them together. Yeah. And they're dropping three to four hundred dollars on these things. Yeah. How, how can you how can you even expect a kid to beg their mom and dad like can you get me this four hundred dollar lego thing that as soon as i'm done building i'm going to take it apart and put it back in the box you know i, I wish we had, during the break we had done the uh the adjustment from um the what what, what whatever the, the the flag cost uh at that period of time oh. adjusted for inflation in terms of now. barrels of brent crude oil yeah, only in terms of brent <laughs> or bitcoin we have we have a couple minutes before our next break i wanted to just ask you real quick what I guess is the question we probably should ask you at the beginning is, which is that, you know, there's been a lot of um, changes probably for the better in Worcester over the last couple of years. Seems like the population is going to be way up in the next census. A lot of a lot of empty spaces downtown that have now been like built up and are no longer abandoned lots. Do you feel like when you see acti- look at activity at your store, you would say, oh yeah, I feel like there's a lot of this or that going on that reflects this, or is that? a different world from where you guys are. It might be a different world. Uh, one of the things that really kind of populates our store, and this has been going on for Worcester for years, is all the major colleges. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we kind of have this dedicated fan base that resets itself every four years. Yeah. You know, so um, we are getting more into families. We're getting more into kids. You know, and that, that seems hard to say. Like, oh, you're really more into kids. You're a comic book store. But it takes a lot to wrench kids away from the video games. You know, it takes yeah. a lot to, like, put down your 3DS and, and read the Spider-Man comic. So mm-hmm. things like free comic book day and, th- you know, basically having, like, free board game demos at the store. Anything to kind of say, hey, put, focus your attention on something that's uh, a little more visceral, a little less digital, mm-hmm. really helps in the long run. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, and you all are part of, I guess we only have like a minute left. And just for people who don't have never been to the store, you all are part of this commercial strip, which I don't even know if there's a name for it, which kind of runs from 
Chandler up to Elm Park? Yep. Uh, basically, we start at, uh, well, it's more Pleasant Street to Elm Park because there's not much left on the Chandler side. Oh, that's right, right. That's right. Yeah, I shouldn't say, sorry, I, should, I don't mean to say Chandler. Yeah, yeah Pleasant to Elm Park. So you've got uh, Blue Jeans and AutoZone and Blue mm. Shades and um, Baba. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elbasha. AutoZone, S, and then a uh, few auto body shops around there. There's like the office building on the other side yeah, of the street. We basically there. tell people we're directly across the street from the 10-story Bank of America building and diagonally across from Elm Park. And usually people can figure us out. Well, I think we have another break coming up. This is 508, a show about Worcester. We'll be right back after these important messages. And this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti. Also on the show today, of course, is Brendan Malikin. How's it going, Mike? It's going good. And... Ewok advocate Chad Julian. Hi, Chad. Ewoks have rights, too. They, they sure as hell do. I want to read one more paper before we start talking about uh, less nerdy things like Star Wars. This paper is from the most recent issue of the British Journal Economic Policy. It's by Nathan Goldschlag of the Census Bureau and Alex Tabarrok of George Mason University. The paper is called, Is Regulation to Blame for the Decline in American Entrepreneurship? Uh, the answer is No. It's not. It's not. Mounting evidence suggests that economic dynamism and entrepreneurial activity are declining in the United States. Over the past 30 years, the annual number of new business startups and the pace of job allocation have declined significantly. We ask whether this decline in dynamism can be explained by federal regulation. We combine measures of dynamism with REG data, a novel data set leveraging the text of the Code of Federal Regulations, to create annual measures of the total quantity of regulation by industry. We find that rising federal regulation cannot explain secular trends in economic dynamism. Well, thank you for that, Mike. There you so go. So Ewoks, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I just mentioned this as, you know, you you chat as someone who you know manages a small business, and Brendan Melican as someone who owns and operates a small business. Yeah. I just mentioned to you that uh, we are in a time of declining economic dynamism. I don't, you know, that doesn't actually surprise me, but okay. I, I think we're gonna like everything else. Uh, we will see a a shift. Uh, think everything being cyclical, right? It's I meet so many young people now that are not necessarily in a position to be uh, opening their own business, but are very much in the position to be thinking about their futures. And I see so much hope in younger folks uh, who see themselves able to map out a uh, trajectory for themselves yes. that is predicated on uh, writing their own ticket, um, which I don't remember when I was you know, in high school. The, the most I think any of my friends would really come to talking about entrepreneurship was you know like a dream of winning the lottery and like building the ultimate bar that like we would all work at and you know it'd just be this fantasy that made no sense and wasn't an actual business model. I, I, I've had conversations with my 13-year-old son that he's instigated that have been like, hey, do you think this would be an idea that would have a market sort of thing? Totally different headspace I think younger folks are at today. That's interesting. Yeah, when I was in high school, I, I was not particularly entrepreneurial, and many of my friends were not, but I definitely had friends who were big hustlers who just had like – I always had a couple of jobs on the side. Sure. My friend, my friend Pete um, – Cre- uh, incorporated a business called Pete's Parts Plus so that he could get professional uh, discounts on auto parts because he was always very interested in buying parts for his car. Mm-hmm. And so Pete's, he had business cards in the whole nine. He had a listing in the yellow pages. He would, you know, he was not a business. <laughs> could not help. I mean, he could help you, I guess. But it's not, I don't think his mom was like taking down no, you know, phone messages for him to help people buy radiators or whatever the hell people would want to buy. Yeah, the but IRS, I always admired that. The IRS might disagree, but I think a good side hustle uh, could be a just could be a form of a business. I That's, think I think so. Chad. 
I just like all the alliteration and Pete's parts plus playing professional parts. <laughs> I know it's a great. I mean, it's a great. It was a great business. It's a cool business card. I still have that in a folder somewhere. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left on the show this week. We want to thank Chad for being on, um, and we want to thank Hank Holtz again for uh, engineering the show. Um, what's I'm just curious. I mean, I know that you're not here in an official capacity to promote that's entertainment, but like, what if people haven't been in that's entertainment in 18 months? Like what's what's been going on lately that they might be interested in? Um, basically, we're always ever changing, but we're always kind of staying the same. And okay. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say. A lot of people will walk in the store and it's like, oh, you changed this fixture, or oh, you're having the new uh, product. But the, the the overall idea is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, um, vintage video games are always going to be kind of our, our bread and butter. Okay. Com- comic books, uh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon. Board games, stuff like that. People the, get people going down there and having like game nights and game, game nights afternoons. And, uh, we do. We, we just started doing a Pokemon League. We do three nights of Magic: The Gathering, where people basically we fill the front room with like 40 kids and you know, teenagers to adults playing Magic: The Gathering and having a grand old time. That makes me so happy. It, it, it really. I, we wish we had more space. Mm. Um, being on the place we are, basically being that weird strip of stores, um, there's really no place for uh, a lot of parking. So I think that kind of shoots us in the foot a lot. We'd love mm. to have just event after event after event and signings and and, and you know, game nights and stuff. But the problem is, it's, it's it's a weird balancing act between saying, "Oh, hey guys, you know, have 20 of your friends play in the front room, but could you park four miles away because there's other people who want to shop here too." Right, you know, right. it'd be great if we had some like giant shopping center. But um, we've been at that store for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a destination spot. Uh, we've been in business yeah. for just over 38, and the building's from, I believe, the 30s. So I don't know if it's on, like, the National Register of Deeds uh-huh. or historical places, but it's really a place that people kind of know with us. So sure, it, sure. it'd be weird to ever move if we even thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, if, you know, a, a big vacant lot came up for the right price, it'd be great to have a 300-room gaming. Uh, <laughs> yes. That would be awesome. That <laughs> but just awesome. that tiny bit of, of hosting gaming nights and whatnot, which for you folks makes perfect sense from a business perspective, Every time I, I see advertisements for game nights like that, all I can think of is that your industry is helping recreate the whole idea of a third space for young Americans, right? Which is one of those things that most of us, I think, have kind of lost sight of. That it used to be, whether it be bars or cafes or whatever, almost everybody in America had a third place. People was, used to leave their house or their job and go a, a, another, another an additional place. place. And those places, I think, in, in, in large capacity have been lost because you know our, our work schedules have changed. Home life is very different than it once was. Uh, schedules themselves are all over the map, but the idea that that you folks are introducing younger, especially younger kids, right. but even kids in college, adults, whatnot, to the idea that there's a third place where your friends are going to be there, common interest, totally rad. That's I think I think I think that we're we have one minute left. Still totally rad. <laughs> Timing this radio show has been such a such a challenge. We're gonna get a shot clock. Mike. We're gonna we're, we're gonna, gonna figure we're, gonna, we're gonna figure it out. You know, tell these are the things I don't understand. Housing policy, telling you know what we time. Need to do? We had Tony Scavone up here a couple weeks ago telling us <laughs> that the, uh, the 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 stage of the Palladium was now built out of the the old court from Madison Square Garden. We need to get the shot clock. The shot clocks from Madison Square Garden. Where did those go? We're gonna we're gonna hang them on the wall up here. We have some old board games. I just get you a timer. Like an uh, and now yeah. we're going to be counting grains yes. of sand. Yes. That's, that's no, exactly right. Like mean. days through the hourglass. I could be into this. We would have one 18-minute timer, one 8-minute timer, one 17-minute timer, and one 6-minute timer. This is You are listening to Unity Radio 102.9 FM in Worcester, Massachusetts, and you've been listening to 508. You can email us at pieandcoffee at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week, Worcester. Bye-bye.